Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for, for your help tonight. We pray for, for clarity as we read these uh, verses together, uh, knowing that some have described um, them as some of the most difficult verses in the whole Bible. So we pray that we would come to them now humbly and uh, that you would open our eyes and minds, and hearts, that we might hear and understand, and so understanding, go out into the world to better bring you glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amongst the uh, sheets of paper you were given on the way in, uh, should be one like this, um, an outline of where we're going tonight. So if you want to make notes, um, well, there's not a lot of room for that, (laughs) as to be said. Never mind, if you can find some space to scribble amongst... Uh, all of that, and do do that. And if you could also be turning back uh, in your Bibles to the first of those readings we just had, uh, from chapter 5, chapter 5, verses 17 through to 20 is our passage tonight. Now I know that there's, there's one question that I can ask tonight, and I can guarantee that it's relevant to everyone in the building. And it's that question that I put at the top of the handout, and it's the question that asks, how then should we live? Now, you might not think that's a particularly interesting question, and uh, that's not a question you might want to think about, Uh, but on the other hand, it is a question you simply cannot avoid. Even before this day is done, you will face and make hundreds, perhaps thousands, of decisions on how to live. How then should we live? It's a question asked all uh, the time, I guess, within a a family setting. Uh, So as a parent, for example, I'm having to make ethical judgments on these sorts of things on a most diverse range of issues. Uh, Just how much time should a 12-year-old spend on a computer every day? Is time spent playing Minecraft somehow more wholesome than time playing other games. If that means nothing to you, then count yourself blessed. (laughs) Is there any situation in which it might be good for my daughters to dye their hair? Can we have a cat? Can we have a dog? Can we have a snake? Can we have a tarantula? Now, I freely admit, like like most parents, uh, my most frequent answers to such questions are these. They are no and never interspersed with the occasional, oh, all right then. And uh, it's sadly true as I do that. I'm probably much more concerned about seeking a quiet life in the family than I am about seeking some higher purpose. How then should we live? Well, this is now something we're having to face as a church family on Sunday evenings, and that's because we're in a sermon series that began a few weeks ago in Matthew 28, and the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel which sent us out into the world to make disciples and to teach them everything Jesus has commanded. And we've turned back in the gospel to find out about his teaching, which begins here in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've stood alongside the disciples in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, we have just heard Jesus say to us, this is chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
So now we should be saying, yes, but how then should we live? What then should we do? What should we teach people to do? What are the good deeds in verse 16 that Jesus wants us to do? And those are the questions we're going to be occupied with over the next few weeks. And those are the questions, those are the key questions to keep in mind as we look at these next four verses in the sermon. Chapter 5, verses 17 through to 20. And I want to ask you tonight to keep those questions, those questions in particular, firmly in your minds. Because I've got to be honest with you this evening. We could easily lose our nerve with these four verses. We might easily get distracted this evening. And you may have already been in Bible studies that have come to grief, floundering on these very verses. Because it's almost inevitable in a Bible study setting that someone's going to look at what Jesus says in verse 17 here, I have not come to abolish the law. And then they will say, but what about the Apostle Paul? What about, for example, Romans chapter uh, 10 verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. Or you might look together at verse 20 here, unless your righteousness surpasses a certain standard, says Jesus, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they will say, and it's a good question, what about, for example, Romans chapter 3, verse 28? For we maintain, says the Apostle Paul, that a man is justified, that is declared righteous, by faith, apart from observing the law. And I think we're all troubled by that verse 20, uh, thinking, where's the grace in this? Isn't that what we're supposed to believe in? And we've sung it already tonight in all sorts of different ways. Only by grace can we enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've been in a Bible study like that. It was quite early on in my Christian life. And the poor Bible study leader got red-faced and flustered, and it got harder and harder, and we got all confused and went round and round in circles, and everyone went home unhappy. So we could get a little distracted this evening. But if we remember who we are, if we remember that we are humbled, served by Jesus, brought into his family, his missionary family, and then sent out to make disciples and to teach disciples, and if we have the right questions in mind, we shouldn't go too far astray tonight. And be patient what we'll find is that we answer those questions, those primary questions, we'll actually deal with all the other questions we might have too, and then we can all go home happy. So remember, the questions I have in mind are these ones. As, as people whose light should shine before the world, as Jesus says, chapter 5, verse 16, what then should we do? What should we teach people to do? Now, as we begin to seek some answers to those questions, suppose for a moment uh, that you are a Jewish person in the first century and you're listening to Jesus on that hillside. Now, where would you normally and naturally turn to to find out the best way to live? Well, of course, you would turn to the law and the prophets. You would turn to what we call the Old Testament. You would turn to the law, the blueprint for living as God's people in the world given to God by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And you would turn to the prophets, those sent by God to bring his people back to him in trust and obedience. And to, to help you in all of that, as you studied all of that, you might well listen to your teachers of the law 
Or you might even follow uh, the Pharisees, a group at the time who saw themselves in the line of the prophets calling the people back to a radical obedience to God. But what we're going to find out over the next three weeks as we look at Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus' basic answer to what should we do is this. Listen to me. Don't listen to your teachers of the law. Don't follow the Pharisees. Listen to me. So if you ever get lost in this chapter, that's another simple thing to remember. Listen to me. And these four verses we're looking at tonight are the introduction to all of that. They give us the reason why we should listen to Jesus. They motivate us to listen to him. They provide the connection between verse 16 here, this command to go out into the world as a light to the nations, And the teaching that begins in verse 21, the teaching on how to live. They connect those two things together and motivate us in it. Why should we listen to Jesus? And I'm going to summarize what Jesus says in these verses like this. Uh, Because I am fulfilling the law and the prophets without abandoning them, says Jesus. What I say about good deeds is going to be perfectly in line with God and what God is doing. Not anything else. So listen to me. And I'm just going to split that expanded answer into two parts tonight and deal with them in turn. Listen to me, says Jesus, first of all, because I am fulfilling the law and the prophets without abandoning them. Or or to put that the other way around, not only am I treating the law and the prophets with a complete seriousness that would put your teachers of the law to absolute shame, I have come to fulfill them. Jesus' exact words are here in verses 17 and 18. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And it's that claim there, it's Jesus' claim there, it's there at the end of verse 17 that really lies at the heart of these two verses. He is fulfilling the law and the prophets. Understand that and everything else here should fall into place. Now we can grasp, I think, what it means to fulfill something. Uh, For example, uh, if I make you a promise to, say, replace a blown light bulb in your house... And then the next day, uh, the bulb is replaced. Then, it's fairly simple, isn't it? I have fulfilled my promise. And how many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently, the answer is eight. One to change it, and then seven to stand around complaining bitterly that the old one has gone. (laughs) Well, take this light bulb... This uh, truly is a light bulb. This, the identity of this object here is a light bulb. But I hope you can see that this light bulb has unfulfilled potential. It has an unrealized potential to provide light. But if I were to put it in a socket and switch on the power, that unrealized potential would be fulfilled. And what we're seeing from Matthew's gospel over these weeks is that Jesus is doing something very similar with the law and the prophets. 
You see, God did make a promise to fill the whole world with blessing, a promise that's repeated across the prophets. And by telling his people how to live, the law of Moses had the potential to spread the right way to live in the world. Now, as Jesus is speaking at this moment here in Matthew chapter 5, we would have to say that that promise and that potential stood unfulfilled. You see, God's people had failed in the past. Uh, The city of Jerusalem, for example, was set up, as in verse 14 here, as a city on a hill in clear sight of the nations all, all around. And as they kept the law, that should have been a light to the nations. But there was no light shining out. In the end, there was not a glimmer. But by the time we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, we should be able to see how Jesus is now fulfilling both the unfulfilled promises of the prophets and the unfulfilled potential of the law. So we were looking, beginning to look at this a few weeks ago. By the end of the gospel, we can see how Jesus has personally taken on the role promised in the prophets as the servant of the Lord. He has taken upon himself the curse of the law and his death on the cross. And having thus served his disciples for the forgiveness of their sins, he then draws them into his servant work, sending them out to make disciples, taking the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. The promise is fulfilled. The potential is fulfilled. All of which means that far from abandoning the law and the prophets, Jesus is actually taking the whole law with the utmost seriousness. You can see him emphasizing that again in verse 18. For I tell you the truth, says Jesus, not the least part of the law is being abandoned in this. Or we could put it another way, put it like this, for example. We could say that Jesus is completing plan A and not switching to something else. He's not switching to plan B. If the plan of God, plan A, began with the law and the prophets, he is not abandoning it and trying something else, but fulfilling it. Now, I suppose it might have been, well have been a tense and confused moment as Jesus was saying these things on that hillside 2,000 years ago. You might like to imagine the scene. So there's the crowd all around who are listening in, uh, wondering perhaps whether Jesus is going to say something different to the other teachers around them, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, for example. And perhaps some of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are there too, all big beards and stern looks. And then there are Jesus' disciples uh, standing around him. And I might have mentioned that they're feeling a little embarrassed at this point, a little stage-struck, wondering why Jesus is talking to them. Why Jesus has put all the focus on, on them, as he has said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And we can imagine the disciples looking rather nervously at one another at that point and asking, why us? What's so special about us? And they might also have asked, anyway, how is this going to work? How is this going to work? You see, in the past, God's people were a covenant of salts, in a covenant of salt, but they lost their identity and were trampled by men. In the past, God's people were a beacon for the world, but they never shone as they should have done. What is different now? What is different now? And everyone at that time might have been holding their breath, wondering, surely... Surely Jesus isn't going to abandon the law, is he? It, you know, it clearly didn't work before, that's true. So is it, is it now time to discard it and, and to try something else? 
Well, we can see here that Jesus' answer to that last question is an emphatic no. Do not think for a moment, says Jesus, that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the first thing he says. And we might also say that, that Jesus answers the other questions too across the gospel. He answers the other questions with himself. What's special about the disciples? Nothing. Nothing apart from the fact that they are his disciples. It's only by grace. If they didn't get that at the time when Jesus was first saying it, they certainly will have done by the end. When Jesus called the disciples up the mountain in Matthew 28, they had all been humbled by personal failure. They had done nothing. He had done everything. Pure grace. And what's different now when it comes to putting the will of God into action? What's going to make the difference now? He is. Because he is fulfilling the law and the prophets. And therefore nothing in what God has said in the past is wasted. There's a tribe in Siberia called the the Dolgan tribe. Uh, You may have seen them on Frozen Planet uh, a little while back. And the Dolgan tribe are remarkable in when they kill a walrus... Every single little scrap of it is used. Every obscure little bit of it is either eaten or used for some other imaginative purpose. Nothing is thrown away. And it's the same with the law, says Jesus in verse 18. The smallest letter, the iota in Greek, the yod in Hebrew, the least stroke which distinguishes one one letter from another, they all have a role to play in some way or another. And they fulfill their purpose. They fulfill their promise, says Jesus, as I fulfill the law and the prophets. And they will do that until the task of taking the light to the nations is accomplished. All of which takes us to the next couple of verses, verses 19 and 20. Why should we listen carefully to Jesus? Well, says Jesus, because I'm fulfilling the law and the prophets, what I say about good deeds will be in line with what God is doing, not anything else. What I say about good deeds will be in line with what God is doing, not anything else. And what I say as I fulfill and teach the law matters, says Jesus. It has consequences. Verse 19, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 20, if you follow the opposition, if you follow the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, then you won't enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Now, these are very challenging pair of verses, aren't they? So let's take this step by step. Well, first notice that the phrase phrase that's repeated three times in these two verses, the the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavens is Jesus' way of talking about the future, a future sign when heaven and earth are fully reunited under God's unopposed rule. Uh, So these verses are all about being in line with that, lined up with that, in line with a huge sweep of what God is doing across history from beginning to end in line with what he has been doing in the law of the prophets, what he is and will be doing through Jesus, all heading towards what he's bringing about, the kingdom of the heavens. And in that context, Jesus says, verse 19, therefore, 
anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, which commands is Jesus talking about here? Well, in the context, Jesus means the commands of the law as he fulfills them and teaches them. That's the context here. That's what he's going to go on to talk about from verse 21 onwards. And if we, had, if we don't get this now, we'll certainly get it by the time we get to the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28 will make it crystal clear because Jesus is going to send out his disciples, remember, to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus is saying something like this. If you are part of what I'm doing as I fulfill the law and the prophets, you will want to do what I tell you to do. If your identity is tied up in me, your purpose is tied up in me too. You will listen to what I say and you will do it. And if you don't, warns Jesus, then when we get to the end point, when we get to the kingdom of the heavens, what you have done will not stand up well compared to someone who has. What you have done it will not stand up well to someone who has. That is to say that the change that Jesus is bringing about in his disciples really should show. It's supposed to show. They are supposed to be the light of the world. Verse 14. I mean, if you change a light bulb you ex- and you put a new one in, you expect the new one to shine, don't you? If the light is dim, there's a problem. If it's bright, then great. And what's more, the change Jesus is bringing about in his disciples should be distinctly visible compared to those who are not his disciples. And this is the further warning in verse 20. For I tell you, says Jesus, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Or read it this way. Unless the light that you shine before the world is distinctly and obviously brighter and that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, something is fundamentally wrong. You are not on the right path. See, that's the, the way to, to read, read that word righteousness here. Uh, when you see the word righteousness in the Bible, in general, I think we could probably say that it's all about being aligned with the will and purpose of God. Uh, now, you need to know that different Bible writers may give give that different emphasis. The Apostle Paul uses the word to talk about how we become so aligned, that that it's by Christ alone and by faith alone. But Jesus' emphasis here is a little bit different. It's much more with how his disciples express that alignment, assuming that alignment in the first place, how they express it in practice, how their light shines before men, uh, as in verse 16. And it's here, I think, that our reading from Matthew chapter 23 will help us enormously. uh, Because it becomes crystal clear by Matthew 23 that although the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would describe themselves as righteous people, and perhaps they would have been widely regarded as righteous people, they are, when it comes down to it, play-acting at righteousness. It is a shallow, surface-level, showy righteousness Jesus exposes them ruthlessly in that chapter later in the gospel. They are picking and choosing from the law. They're focusing on the easy, visible stuff, and they are neglecting the big stuff. They're neglecting justice and mercy and faith. Uh, 
And by saying to Jesus, which is what they effectively do throughout the whole of the gospel, we don't like you and we don't need you. Uh, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are consigning themselves to exactly the same fate as God's people in the past. Cursed by God, trampled by men, their light extinguished. In short, they are not aligned with God and their lack of alignment shows. But Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 to his disciples, you are aligned with God and if so then that alignment will show to use the jargon your righteousness will surpass those who are not so aligned you have been changed plugged into the mains and switched on they have not if you're not shining more brightly than them then there is a problem Or think of it this way, you're playing in the cup final, fulfilling a dream. You have a team identity and a team purpose, which is to score goals for the praise and glory of your club. Those expressing that identity will listen to their coach and captain, and they will contribute to that purpose well, and can subsequently enjoy the spoils of victory when it comes. But if you were to start scoring goals for the opposition, then we might well have to challenge your team loyalty and identity. In that instance, you really wouldn't expect, would you, to be invited to the victory party. So Jesus' expectation here is that we will shine brightly in the world. That is our purpose in the world now. Now, I know that that is hugely challenging, and I'm not going to deny it or mumble into my beard at this point. It certainly challenges me. Well, let it challenge us. Let it humble us. Let verse 20 in particular humble us. It was was doing earlier for us when we're confessing together. And then let's go back to the beginning before going on. Let's go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, to verses uh, three, and, three through to six of Sermon on the Mount. Go back to those verses in poverty of spirit, humble before God, desperate to be aligned with him. And we can do that with confidence because Jesus is gentle and we will find rest in him. And so from that place, we can then work it all through, rediscovering our identity in him, thereby rediscovering our purpose to shine as lights in the world to the praise of our Father in heaven. Ready then to learn from Jesus again, because he is fulfilling the law and the prophets, and what he says about good deeds will be perfectly in line with what God is doing. And so we can come back next week and the weeks to come and read from verse 21 onwards, and Jesus saying, So, listen to me. And you can already see, if you look on, the pattern set up in verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard, you have heard from your teachers of the law, that it was said to the people long ago, such and such. But I tell you, I tell you. And what Jesus is going to tell us will enable us to fulfill verse 16, our light 
to shine brightly before men to the praise of our Father in heaven. So then as we finish, what do we say to that person who's troubled by the the, the apparent mismatch between what Jesus says here and and the Apostle Paul and the letters of the Apostle Paul? Well, I suppose the first thing we could do is to remind them that Paul is an ex-Pharisee. In other words, he's moved from being opposed to Jesus here in verse 20 uh, to accepting his need for Jesus. He's moved to uh, verses 3 to 6. He came to accept his poverty of spirit. He was humble before God. He became desperate to be aligned with him. He came at that moment to see that just trying harder at the law was going to get him nowhere. And that the law was there to point forward to Jesus, as Jesus says here in verse 17. And when Paul says that we are declared to be in alignment with God, that is, we are justified, uh, when he says that that is by Christ alone, by faith alone, well, in the end, that's no different to what we're seeing in Matthew's gospel, that you cannot be in this family, you cannot be in God's family, participating in what God is doing in the world until you have first been served by Jesus. So how then should we live? As a church family in Sheffield today, as individual families within that church family, as I sit down with my family, uh, for example, trying to work out what to do in hundreds of different situations. Well, for the detail come back next week and the weeks to come but before we get to the detail we've seen to know that jesus and paul for for that matter wants us to get our thinking and vision straight first he wants us to have a proper vision of the enormous and majestic sweep of all that god is doing across history and out across the world it's a vision that begins with a promise and expectation of the law and the prophets It has at its center Jesus himself, fulfilling the law and the prophets. At the center of that is his finished work of his death and resurrection on our behalf. But then there's his unfinished work, taking the light of salvation out into the nations, the work that we are gloriously caught up in, participating in. And on the horizon, there's the blessings of the kingdom of heavens. And within that overarching vision, Of course we say, yes, this is a great thing to be a part of. Yes, I do want to spread the light of God in all the world. And yes, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, and my teacher, please teach me how to do that. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that in our hearts and in our minds, it will be that vision which we have. The one that begins with the law and the prophets has Jesus at the center and the kingdom of the heavens in the future. That vision which inspires us to take great joy at what we have been caught up in. And instead of seeing that command to let our light shine before men as a burden or a difficulty would rather become a hugely exciting thing to become a part of
Lord, change our hearts so we want to hear more, so that we want to hear how to do it, so that we might listen to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.